Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 303, recorded June 1st, 2011. Password Haystacks. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite. Backing up the files on your PC or Mac is safe and easy with Carbonite. For a free trial, plus two free months with purchase, go to Carbonite.com. Offer code SECURITYNOW. And by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to Netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security and privacy online with our guru, our uh, our man of the hour, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com, the uh, guy who wrote Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance utility, but also spends a lot of time on security these days and has written many great <laughs> security tools. Why are you giggling? Well, first of all, I'm probably more like man of the hour and a half. I think. <laughs> or two. Uh, or two. <laughs> or two in some cases, yes. But today uh, we actually have something I think um, that is hotly awaited. You teased us last week. Yes, I did. I got a lot of tweet feedback from people saying, oh, my. And I mean, and I got a sense also for the fact that people are listening to the podcast over the course of the week because these these tweets were, were, were coming in over the course of the week as people would catch up and and listen to the podcast and then get to – the the tease for this week at the end of of last week's podcast and they would you know send me a note saying oh you know what have you come up what? with what I'm is out, it what is know. it we can't wait a now week. i have to wait for a week and in some cases when it came in yesterday i said no you don't you just ha- you have to wait till tomorrow that's true so, yeah that's true so that, um that's now today do you want to reiterate the the tease uh, this came to you almost like uh, archimedes in his bath <laughs> Well, and we we should tell everyone you know what's going on because I I thought it'd be much more fun you know I've for you it. to yes for you to grok it and and be able to work with me as we we explain this. Um, so what I'll say is I'll remind people that I had had been working on an idea that I called the passcode designer, which is up on GRC. If you go to grc.com/slash/passcodedesigner.htm, that's actually. The reason I learned JavaScript, I'd never, you know, I knew it was evil, <laughs> but I hadn't used it. And I didn't know it because I just, you know, all the stuff I've ever done has been server side code. Well, it's kind of the, the ultimate high level, high level language and you do low level languages. Yeah. And I have to say, Leo, I'm very comfortable with it now. Um, and I, I had forgotten, frankly, because I've been writing assembly language all my life, and I hadn't had any need to mess around with a high-level languages. I mean, I do see when I'm over in Unix land and, and things, but that's sort of like, okay, and I, and I have Perl as my scripting language over on, on, on Unix, but um, after I've written, like, a chunk of functionality, I'll look at it and think, well, that's only, that's only 10 lines. Look how much I got Is done it? in 10 lines. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good morning, Steve. Time to wake up and smell the coffee. Hello. Yeah, so the it's... last person on earth to understand. Well, and if you know, those high-level languages are kind of handy. If you know C, uh, JavaScript in um, structure is very C-like. It so, is, but oh boy, I mean, but it's, it's object-oriented, which makes a big difference. Well, there, yeah, you you can you can. There's an object-oriented flavor, but for me, mostly, it was that it's it's scoping rules are really bad, yeah. so that you have to go to real jump through hoops in order to like make sure you don't have a name collision with right. a module that you might import, you know, somebody else's library. Um, so. So, you know, it doesn't handle scoping very well. It's very lax about type conversion. But now I'm using that to my benefit. There was a little chunk of code I shared that I just wrote the other day with the guys in the news group where I was deliberately using an array that contained integers in one place. Oh, it's in fact, it's on this the, the Haystacks page we're, we're going to be talking about where I'm assembling the first line of that that chart showing the size of the alphabet in one place i'm using the integers and knowing that javascript will convert them to strings so i'm concatenating them onto a string after adding a plus sign so it's you know 26 plus 26 plus 10 plus 33 for a large alphabet and and then the line right below i'm summing that into a into an integer knowing that javascript will leave it alone so that I, that's where I'm able to say equals 95. And so, I mean, once you understand the rules and, you know, and you're careful. I mean, one of the things I, I guess I'm bringing to this is because I'm coming to it from a lifetime of assembly language programming that, the, you know, my focus is extreme because it's had to be to survive in well, assembly. Well, that's true. I mean, you talk about scoping. Assembly doesn't really, I mean, scoping rules are, is our high language, high level language construct. Right. And so, um, anyway, as a consequence, I'm, you know, I have, I, I, I don't want to set up another tease, but I'm not quite done. So, <laughs> but today we got, we got round one. Well, if you go to the, if you go to Steve's, you know, uh, passcode designer site, you'll see the big boom, obsolete stamp right across <laughs> it that we saw that last week. And so today we discuss what it was that Steve, the insight Steve had that obsoleted the work he'd done previously and, and, and how, well, and all of the common wisdom that we've for for into our sixth year continue to share. Um, I think it was before we began recording, Leo, that I mentioned that I immediately scrapped my WPA Wi-Fi password because it's obsolete. Yeah. And how many times have I mentioned that I can't type it in? I've never had my iPod Touch on my Wi-Fi because... I just can't enter it. The only way to get it in was a copy and paste because it was 63 characters of nightmare. Now I've got something I can enter with my eyes closed. Friends can come over and I can easily put them on my my guest Wi-Fi. Um, but I and we none of us have any less security. So it's a it's a re, it's a realization about what it is about passwords that actually matter. And it's different than what we thought. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is fun. We're going to talk about it in just a second. There is some uh, uh, security news. In fact, I just got my update uh, from um, Apple, which you're going to talk about in a second. And, uh, yep. and a whole lot more. Before we get to all of that, just let me remind you about the kind of the, the number one thing you could do to protect yourself is have a good backup. You know, if the worst happens... Having a good backup makes it very easy to reinstall your operating system, to restore from known good copies. Backing up is the ultimate 
the, 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 the key to good disaster planning. And I want to recommend Carbonite Online Backup because of the great job they do. First of all, it's automatic, so it's a backup you don't have to think about. Uh, you know, some of us are disciplined like Steve and will remember to make those CDs to send to mom. But uh, but you have to remember to do that. Now, Carbonite, anytime you're online, automatically is backing up using SSL, by the way. So it's completely secure, even if you're at a... And you have to do that, because what if you walk into a Starbucks and you're online and it starts backing up? You've got to have the SSL. They do that. They also uh, allow you to use strong encryption on your sides. You control the keys, so you have absolute control over the privacy of your data that's important but even more important that data is off-site it's somewhere and this is why steve mails you know cds and dvds to his mom it's oh it's, it's somewhere besides right next to your computer because if the worst happens you don't want to have it sitting right there tornadoes these days or earthquakes out here in california flood fire all can destroy your backups along with the originals even you know frankly human error or thievery this is why carbonite is so great and if, and affordable too, fifty nine dollars a year for all the personal data on your internal drive, no matter how much. Fifty nine dollars is five dollars less than five dollars a month, less than fifteen cents a day. And and is it easy? Yes, Mac or PC. Go to Carbonite dot com right now. Use the offer code Security now, so Steve gets credit for this. And you can try it without a credit card or anything. Just all you need is Security now. You can try it for fifteen days. See how it works. If you like it, you've got enough bandwidth. You get the idea, and you want to buy. You'll get fourteen months. For the price of 12, two free months if you use the offer code security now. You have to try first, though, so please do, and then use security now to buy it. Uh, it's also cloud storage. So once you've got Carbonite backing up, everything on your backup is visible anywhere on any computer. You log into your Carbonite account. They have an iPhone app free, Android app. They even have a free BlackBerry app that you can always see your data. So it's cloud storage, too. It's just a great solution. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code security now. Try before you buy. And if you decide to buy, use security now again, and you'll get uh, two free months. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. Carbonite.com. Offer code security now. So I I always do this. I logged into my uh, computer to do the show. Now, it seems like they always do this on Wednesday. Apple's got an update. And this is the one we've been waiting for. Yes, it is. And it's uh, it's good news, but unfortunately not as good as we were hoping. Oh. Um, this is Apple responding to the new Mac Defender threat that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks that has been causing some serious trouble for Apple users and for Apple's own Apple Care folks who've been getting, you know, like one out of every two calls they get now is about this Mac Defender problem. Wow. Um, between the time we last spoke about it and now, Mac Defender, the malware, was updated so that it no longer required the social engineering of getting the user to enter their administrator password in order to install itself permanently. So we're, we're seeing the, the typical evolution of you know, this cat and mouse game. Um, Apple, just yesterday on May 31st, released an update, their third for 2011, tiny, it's only 2.1 meg, so it's not one of these, you know, multi-hundred megabyte replace your whole OS updates. Um, and it fixed three things. The third, under the title of malware removal, um, they said, uh, impact, remove the Mac Defender malware if detected, which, is, which means, whereas they were telling, you know, the official policy at Apple was 
for the Apple Care um, employees handling customers not to take responsibility for removing malware. Presumably, Apple already had in their in the works that they were going to automate this and just do it for everybody. So the good news is, if it detects the Mac Defender malware, all the variations that Apple knew, it will remove it. Um, so, and in the description, they said the installation process for this update will search for and remove known variants of the Mac Defender malware. If a known variant was detected and removed, the user will be notified via an alert after the update is installed. Additional information is available in this knowledge base article. And then it's, and if anyone's curious, because there is some more information, which is sort of interesting, shows you dialogues and things. It's support.apple.com slash KB slash HT four six five one. And um, in fact, there it says security update 2011-003 provides additional protection by checking for the Mac Defender malware and its known variants. Um, it says if Mac Defender malware is found, the system will quit this malware, delete any persistent files, and correct any modifications made to configuration or login files. After Mac Defender is identified and removed, the message below will be displayed the next time an administrator, administrator count logs in. And it shows you a little uh, pop-up note just indicating that Mac Defender had been found and was removed. So, you know, this isn't something which is fighting with Mac, Mac Defender is not currently fighting Apple tooth and nail to, to hold on. However, um, Ed Bott, who was writing for ZDNet, just wrote that the, the new, a new Apple antivirus or the new Apple antivirus signatures, meaning what was just updated, were bypassed within hours by malware authors. Oh, dear. So, and he said, and this is an update from this morning at 6 a.m. He said, the bad guys have wasted no time. Hours after Apple released this update and the initial set of definitions, a new variant of Mac Defender is already in the wild. See, that's the problem with definition-based uh, antivirus fighting. It, they're, they're looking for strings. So all you have yes. to do is change the strings and the, uh, and the search engine stops working. Yes, we don't have any behavior-based protection yet. Yeah. And he said, this one has a new name, mdinstall.pkg, and it has been specifically formulated to skate past Apple's malware-blocking code. The file has a date and timestamp from last night, 9.24 p.m. Pacific time. That's less than eight hours after Apple's security update was released. On a test system using Safari with default settings, it behaved exactly as before, beginning the installation process with no password required. As PC virus experts know, this cat and mouse game can go on indefinitely. Your move, Apple. That's what's really scary is that it doesn't require an admin password. That's the thing that worries me. Now, there's one thing Apple users should absolutely do if they're using Safari. There's a checkbox right in the, the, the general tab of Safari preferences that they need yes. to uncheck this open save files after downloading. Because it isn't a save file, and yet Safari will automatically open it. Because it assumes safe unless it knows otherwise. Right. So just uncheck that. It's a little bit of an inconvenience because... PDFs don't just pop open, but they really shouldn't be anyway. As we well know as about we, PDFs. As we well know. <laughs> over under Windows, yes. Yeah. 
So, you know, I my 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 thousand yard read of this is, you know, Apple is is maturing. They're developing big market share and the hackers now have Macintoshes. So, you know, Apple and the Mac OS move into, unfortunately, where everybody else is, you know, where Android is and Windows is, you know, becoming a, a high enough profile target that, you know, those those things about it that are still that have not yet been hardened sufficiently are going to cause some problems. And, you know, it won't take Apple users long to to wise up to it. Yeah, um, I guess. I mean, but if you don't get a warning. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, more than wising up to it. I mean, you, you know, this is scary. Well, and we do, as, as you and I have said, we have the problem also that as a class, probably the majority of Apple users... We don't care. Who, we haven't had to. Yeah, exactly. Have, just don't have their guard up, haven't yep. been, been, you know, afraid to click on things. I mean, someone sent me, a friend, a good friend sent me a forwarded email with a Windows, Metafi- a Windows media file, WMV, Windows Media Video that was apparently really, really funny. And she uh-huh, was like, this uh-huh. is just fantastic. It's like, I didn't open it. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I just, I can't. She didn't create it. She, and you know, I saw this whole list of forwards. So yeah. she's not a super sophisticated email user either, yeah. you know, because everyone she'd ever sent it to or received it from was there in this huge list. It's like, nothing can make me look at that. I don't care how funny it is. And, you know, it's like, I, I just, it's not worth it. So those are the habits, unfortunately, that, that all PC users are going to have to be developing. And, you know, Windows users are a little bit ahead of the Mac users at this point. Yeah, it's, it makes me sad, but it was inevitable, I think. <laughs> it you know? really was inevitable, Leo. That What's absolutely- interesting is it, this, this solves the, uh, the, the raging debate between people who thought the Apple platform was inherently more secure. And I was in that camp early on, but realized a couple of years ago after seeing Pwn to Own and all these other security uh, flaws that it wasn't merely that we were more secure it was really that the hackers didn't care about the apple platform our, our yes it's our a numbers systems, game our systems it's a complexity game from, from my from my viewpoint these things are so complicated the are you know the targets our computers today have they're feature rich users want features and the, you know the the fact that that windows keeps selling despite the fact that it's i mean Viruses and malware on Windows is old news, but people still use it. I mean, and, and for example, look at that, that, that period of time when the Mac really was the safer choice. Windows was, was still charging ahead full speed. What, what this really says is that, okay, people realize their problems. This is not all safe, but boy, look at all those features, or I can run all the software that I want on, under Windows, whereas I have, you know, lesser choice over on the Mac. And so what do they, they, they choose? Even though there's more security on the Mac, traditionally, when it didn't slow Windows down at all, not detectably anyway. No, and the numbers game is that as Windows users get more sophisticated and, and 80% of Windows users now run security software, uh, that 20% remaining is roughly equal to the penetration of the Mac in the marketplace. So now the Mac is at parity in terms of insecured users, unsecured users. So of course it's going to attack. I mean, it's actually, you could just watch that number as it went up to 70%, which is now roughly equal to 20% unsecured Windows users. Okay, I guess it's worth the effort. 
And hackers right. are watching it, and they go, yeah, let's do it. And they've had such success with Mac Defender. I'm sure this is not the last of it. Well, and fun, too. I mean, it's a new target. It's, it's a whole new crop. <laughs> let's, not, let's, not, uh, let's not ignore the fun factor. Let's not encourage them. No. Uh, well, speaking of Windows and malware, I, uh, I was tipped off by one of my uh, very good participants over in the GRC news groups and someone who tweets stuff to me, uh, Simon uh, Zarafa, uh, whom I've mentioned before, that Microsoft has in beta a new rootkit removal tool. So this is new. It's connect.microsoft.com slash system sweeper. And this is brand new from Microsoft. I haven't seen it mentioned anywhere else. I immediately uh, sent the news out to everyone following me on Twitter and got a lot of people responding, hey, you know, thanks, didn't know about it, add this to the toolkit. This is a, a downloadable ISO um, image which you can install onto a CD or a USB drive. And so it boots... An OS, you know, it's a stripped-down Windows, which contains um, an anti-malware and rootkit remover, and so it's an, and it's free. You have to boot uh, into a, a clean version of the OS because otherwise you won't see the rootkit. Precisely, yeah. and that's the, that's the trick. Is it's you have to. It's only by by booting something you know is safe yeah. that. You're you're then able to look into the target system and see whether there's there's you know behavior which um, which is is indicating you know known malware or or the presence of a rootkit and so Microsoft recognized that they're going to have to take this move too. I mean to to their credit, rootkits are are among the, the the hardest problems to deal with. They're like you know as we know the next generation malware is able to is to able to very rigorously hide itself from from anti malware that's looking for it and and the trick is that if you get in there first and modify the tools that the anti malware anti spyware anti virus tools use themselves to find the malware then it's able to hide so anyway this is connect.microsoft.com/systemsweeper and I don't have any uh, mature evaluation of it, how it compares to anything else. Um, I, you know, being from Microsoft, I imagine it will always be there now, and it will get better over time. Uh, you know, as all of their stuff does. So, this is, you know, I'm looking at this. It says, "Thank you for contacting Microsoft support." This is clearly uh, uh, intended to uh, be a site that they would, when you call Microsoft, saying, "I've got a problem," they would direct you to. Exactly. It's yeah. like, oh. Go go here right. and download this and and run it. Says so, you've been directed here to download and install the beta version. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I, they aren't publicizing it, but if uh, you call support with a problem, they're going to say mm, maybe you need this. And there are thirty-two and sixty-four bit versions. You can boot either on on a given platform, but you have to choose the one that matches the target computer uh -huh. that you're wanting to scan. So I would imagine our our super savvy listeners will probably grab one of each um, and you know add them you know and burn some CDs or create some bootable USB drives and uh, and have a very cool little bootable OS scanner for systems which 
they think may have a problem. And in fact, I have already heard from someone who followed my tweet, got the kit, and discovered a root kit. Wow. It was unknown to them at the time. Oh, man. Yeah. That's interesting. So, you know, (laughs) come to think of it, it's probably a good idea just to grab one and do the scan, even though you don't. I mean, that's that's just it. You don't know you have a root kit because it's all about hiding itself. And if you're, so, uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners are, the geek that people you know call on when they've got problems, and you have some CDs, I know we all do. We have that that little bag of CDs we bring around. Two CDs, a 32 and a 64 of this, obviously. Yep. Yep. Good, yep. good place to uh, burn that now. Okay. So here's this. this bef- before that happened, the big news of the week that I had at the top of my list was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> We, we talked extensively about the breach at RSA and how, despite the fact that they never confirmed it, mm-hmm. the, you know, I immediately took the position, and I think I blogged it, that, oh, I did, I'm sure I did, that, look, the only thing they had to lose that was really important were the keys, the master keys to the kingdom, which were the the... The secret private keys for the RSI, or the RSA Secure ID tokens. Well, now we have two confirmed reports of of attacks on government contractors. The first was Lockheed Martin, who confirms it came under attack using spoofed. RSA, RSA Secure ID tags. And then next was a company called L3 Communications that a much less well-known but sort of, you know, off-the-map, high-end government contractor that's, you know, providing, like, communication technologies for the wireless um, attack technology that our Defense Department has. So it we, we now, we have confirmation um, that... Uh, you know, in the in the quotes from these companies that 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 they detected attacks using compromised secure ID credentials, which is what we know escaped from RSA. So, you know, uh, the, that's what we expected, and it's now confirmed. And clearly, these companies were lulled into some unfortunately false sense of security told their you know followed rsa's weak recommendations i mean there's nothing you can do except except absolutely stop using any of the of the of the um authentication that might have been compromised and rsa wasn't telling people to do that because that would be too horrific instead they were saying oh well make sure that people don't get enough information that would allow allow them to leverage the fact that they may have compromised credentials and they only need, you know, a username or a password or something other than the secure ID technology, which apparently got loose. So that was bad advice to follow. And we've got at least two contractors. I have heard more are under attack, but we don't have confirmation of those. So that's about as bad as it could get for RSA. Um, I commented... A couple of weeks ago, when I when I noted that Netflix 
was now the number one traffic generator on the internet, and you know, you and I talked about it, Leo. And what, what I what, what surprised me was that BitTorrent was number two. It's like, wow. I mean, yeah, I just I saw that. Yeah, I wasn't aware that there was so much torrenting going on. And uh, <laughs> anyway, what I I picked up a story that I thought I would share with our listeners because there is a takeaway for our listeners. And that is that Voltage Pictures, which is the production studio for the film Hurt Locker, has decided it's going to go after in court and sue 24,583 BitTorrent users who illegally, they are alleging, downloaded and presumably watched Hurt Locker, the movie that they produced. Yeah. Almost 25, what is it, 20, I mean, just shy, it's 24 and a half thousand BitTorrent users. They've already filed lawsuits against 5,000 BitTorrent users. And uh, the the demographic breakdown I thought was sort of interesting. Of the the large amount, the 24,583, 10,532, so nearly half, but by far the majority are Comcast customers. About half of that amount, 5,239, are Verizon customers. About half again that amount, 2,699 are Charter. And about half again that amount, 1,750 are Time Warner customers. Now, in the case of Verizon and Charter, they are only disclosing the names of either 100 or 150, respectively, customers by IP per month. So it's going to take a few years for this Voltage Pictures company to get around to everybody, but they've put a stake in the ground and said, this is what we're going to do. They have said that they would prefer to reach cash settlements with their with these customers um, as opposed to taking each one to court individually. I don't have any idea. I don't think they want you just to pay the cost of the movie or like the DVD or the Netflix download fee. They probably want something punitive as well because they have to be wanting to send a message to people who are doing this. But anyway, I said there was a takeaway and, you know, I'm not a BitTorrent user, so I, I can't speak to the practicality of this, but I wouldn't do this from home. If, if you have <laughs> do it from work. <laughs> Don't well, tell my employees that, please. Okay. Star- <laughs> Starbucks Starbucks has free Wi Fi. <laughs> oh, that's where I would you know, that's where I would oh, go. I wonder. I bet you they must filter. They must start, they'll they'll want to start filtering. Uh, I don't aren't know. They liable? But, I think that the courts have ruled that if they're you you're liable for what people would do with your network, aren't you? That's we just saw that recently. Yeah. There was a very there was a very it got a lot of press. I didn't mention it on the podcast because I thought, okay, well, our users all know about that. But it was some guy who was got got in trouble for you know something his neighbor or some some unknown person was doing. It's yeah. like, well, it's your IP, sir. But it's like, well, I didn't do this, and they say, well, it's your IP. So well, and that yes, by the it, way, that's one of the problems with these John Doe uh, warrants uh, that companies uh, like these Hurt Locker guys are doing is that it's IP based. So, I mean, BitTorrent is not anonymous. BitTorrent, your IP is known. Uh, yes. And it's IP-based. So uh, they that what they do is, as you said, they subpoena Comcast and say, well, who was this? Yep. But it could be your neighbor using your yep. open and, Wi-Fi. Well, and, I mean, years ago, I, I mentioned this years ago, uh, there was some, there were, 
I got five IPs that were attacking GRC that were on the Cox cable network and appeared to be in Orange County. So I thought, well, I wonder what is going on. I mean, why is GRC being attacked? And this was back in the old DDoS days. So I, I called a, my, one of my FBI contacts and I said, hey, can we find out who these guys are? Because I'd like to pay him a house call. And they said, yeah, sure. So they opened a case and they asked Cox for the names of the, the names that corresponded with these IPs. One was de- literally down the street. So the FBI guy called the family who said, hey, we've got a, someone that we work with would like to come over. Uh, you probably don't know this, but your, your computer is infected with malware. And they said, what? Oh, you wow. know, and, you know, they had a couple teenagers wow. who were um, – Oh, it's funny, too, because when I went into the house, it was summertime, and so they were both there. They looked like they'd been deboned, these two teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what teenagers look like. They were like, like limp on the couch. Apparently, they didn't really move yeah. at all. I know that but well. They did, they, <laughs> I know that looked very they, well. They, they did complain that their computer could no longer burn CDs, yeah, you know, dude, of Ill- illegally obtained it's music. It's kind of a bummer, man. <laughs> can't burn it man this thing was so infested with junk and i can't remember now the 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 current popular music downloading it's probably limewire or uh, maybe then it was uh, nutella before that um, nutella it was yeah, nutella. nutella they had nutella yeah. and so you know i i didn't want to get them in trouble i didn't want to be the like the narc that arrived at the front door so i was gentle with the family and i realized that you know the kids were going to do what the kids were going to do but i explained that you know this was this machine was, you know, was no would no longer burn CDs because it could barely boot. It was so busy. With, there was like a war going on between, you know, of of King of the Hill of malware in this machine. So it was interesting to see a, a real world case of that. Oh, uh, but you know, I visited them because, you know, I had their IP from the from the not very sophisticated attack that they were doing on on GRC's web servers. But, but they again, they weren't doing it. it was, their machines well, were. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a bot. They, they, they probably weren't a, smart enough to attack you. They had a, an IRC-controlled bot, and you know, it was one of many things that Nutella had happily yeah. brought into their system. Yeah. And uh, you know, I guess the mixed blessing was they were able to boot their CD after I cleaned the machine. <laughs> Man, that Gibson guy—he is <laughs> rad. He fixed our machine, dude. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Oh, in fact, I do remember the one comment that I got out of one of the teenagers when I was explaining to the parents who were there and concerned that this thing, that their machine had been all infested. And I said, well, yeah, unfortunately, it's a, um, it's a, con- it's because of the file downloading, probably. I said, I see that, that there's Nutella here. And this one teenager said, wait, that's our music. <laughs> we, we need that for our music. That's exactly what my kids would say. And I exactly. thought, oh. Uh-huh. I give them an allowance to buy music, and they still keep installing LimeWire. It's like, don't you understand? <laughs> the music industry would love, <laughs> love to prosecute me. <laughs> well, and stop. years ago, years years ago, I did speak to the uh, the American Bar Association their their technical conference at the ABA. I was the keynote, and I and and they asked some questions after I was through, sort of bringing them up to speed about what was going on in the world, and they said, well. With all of this going on, how how can we like, you know, keep our machines safe? Oh, and they said if we have teenagers, and I said, okay, we all, you know, all of you who are parents, and I, you know, I have a girl have had 
plenty of girlfriends with, with teenagers, so I'm, I'm a virtual parent. We understand that there's no way to control them. And there was like all these heads nodded out in the audience. And I said, give them their own machine. Yeah. I mean, you know, and these were attorneys I was talking to, so yeah. they could afford their own, own machine, even though this was a while ago. I mean, it's easier to do now than ever. ever I mean, they probably all do have their own machine now. But, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, there is no safe way to share a computer with someone who's going to be, you know, downloading everything that, that happens. And stuff their friends bring over is like, oh, you got to see this, you know. And, yeah. you know, it's like it's yeah. just going to be a disaster. But, as you said, Leo, it all filters out through the one communal IP. And we now know from this example that... IPs are not safe against BitTorrent uh, enforcement. Right. So, as I said to our listeners, don't do it from home. Go yep. somewhere <laughs> to get your, to get yeah. your stuff. There's your advice. There's Steve Gibson, your security <laughs> expert. <laughs> there are legitimate uses, for many legitimate uses for BitTorrent, including downloading Linux distros and so forth. But uh, And those you can do. You can home. do those from your home. Yeah. In fact, I did get some flack back when I talked about bit, that way with BitTorrent, uh, from back through Twitter, people, you know, educating me that there was, as, as just as you said, Leo, there are, you know, people who depend upon BitTorrent for like nightly downloads and things that are being, you know, legitimately shared, not just copies of Hurt Locker. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, people, we like to emphasize that because I don't want BitTorrent to be go away. It's not a piracy tool, unlike, let's say, LimeWire or Nutella or Kazaa, which really just, were piracy tools yes yeah okay so since we last spoke we have a new zero day problem with all versions of ie under all versions of windows microsoft is blowing it off because it requires some social engineering unfortunately ie is still by far the majority browser and there's just no doubt to me in my mind that we're going to see this escalate fast um, this was demonstrated by a hacker at the recent Hack in a Box conference in Amsterdam. It requires a drag and drop operation that is a mechanical, you know, users and client side pick this up and drop it over. It, that's something that's a new feature in HTML5. So non HTML5 browsers will be safe. Microsoft was advised of this problem back. In, toward the end of January. And so, like, they've had six months. They believed they had fixed it and claimed it fixed before the release of IE9, but it's still broken. And and this hacker demonstrated under, this, uh, you know, a state-of-the-art, fully patched IE9 that he was able to do this. He set up, he, he has a Facebook account with 180 Facebook friends. He set up a puzzle. He created an app which was a puzzle, and shared this with his friends. He collected 80 Facebook session cookies. Oh, <laughs> and this happens even if you're HTTPS, even if you got maximum security. Basically, this puzzle was a drag-and-drop puzzle. And so Facebook people said, oh, how cool, you know, solve the puzzle. I don't know what it was, rearrange the pieces to form a picture kind of thing. That's all it takes. It turns out that Microsoft made a mistake with their security zones. We've talked historically about the the IE security zones where you've got untrusted and trusted and local and you're able to set the settings differently depending. Well, it turns out that if you 
do if you leverage HTML5 with drag and drop and iframes and security zones, put it all together, you're able to steal session cookies from users. Now, Microsoft's official statement is, oh, you know, we're not that worried about it because it requires manual action on the user. Well, wake up and smell the coffee, yeah, Microsoft. Not that much manual you know? action. No, and, I mean, Facebook is a made-to-order target for this. Yeah. So, whereas, for example, Fire Sheep was stealing session cookies but would be defeated even in open Wi-Fi if the whole session was kept secure. And, of course, in response to Fire Sheep, we know that Facebook added persistent HTTPS connections. This works anyway because it's working on at the browser end and sending these session cookies to a malicious site where the moment someone gets them they can log in impersonate the user and get up to mischief you know and what the, what they'll do is they'll then post other malware on those compromised users pages and and use it as a, a means of launching further exploits so i expect microsoft will fix this where are we we're june 1st Second Tuesday's so, coming up, uh, you know. Couple yeah, but of weeks. they've got the maximum time because we're one day past the first Tuesday. Or I mean, you know, right. <laughs> if this were yesterday, they, they've got fifteen it would be, days. It would already something. be the yeah. first Tuesday. Yeah. So they got the maximum time to respond to this if they can do so within that window. Um, and I and and well, they already thought they fixed it with IE nine, so they understand the nature of the problem. And they didn't fix it. So I'm sure they can tweak it again. And I'll be very surprised if in two podcasts from now, we're not talking about the second Tuesday patch of the prior day compared to that podcast. And I guess it would be number 305 where we say, okay, they fix a drag and drop problem. But until then, this is, this is going to, you know, people will have fun with it. Tune in at episode 305. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see how good our we'll crystal see. ball is. Yeah. Now, I got a lot of of interest shown in something that got picked up and spread around about Google speeding up SSL. Don't know if you saw that, Leo. Yeah, I did. That was a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't played with it. I just noted it. I'd well, love to it, know what you think. Yeah, there's nothing really to play with. They it just makes, wanted to say how easy it was. Well, they wanted what they said was that they were getting a 30% improvement, and that was big. And it was kind of a hack, though. Well, not kind of. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay, we, we did a, a podcast on SSL. So anybody who wants to go back and, like, refresh on exactly how SSL works, it's all there for you, uh, both in transcript and audio form. I don't know which um, podcast it was, but um, it was, you know, in the not-too-distant past, uh, I we, we spent the, the session, the... Um, uh, the podcast going through exactly how SSL handshakes work, how the protocol works. One of the things that happens is that you need to guard against man-in-the-middle attacks. That is, for example, when when the client says to the server, here's all the security ciphers that I know about, and here's all of the authentication uh, key exchange protocols I'm aware of, then the server says he, he gets that list and it selects the one that they will use from among those. Well, one of the ways to attack SSL and has been successful in the past is to 
to weed out and remove from that list as it goes by, you know, in the man in the middle, as it goes by, is you remove the strong ones and you keep the weak ones. Like one of them is none at all. Like, I'm sorry, I don't do security. And so you could actually have an SSL connection with no encryption if the server accepted it. And if, and if the server thought that that's the best the client could do was none of the above. So as a consequence of that, in order to guard against the during this protocol establishment, while they're getting themselves synchronized and connected, the very last thing which is exchanged is called the finished message, which incorporates in it the hash of all the prior messages sent so that when the recipient of the finished message receives it, they can take a hash of everything they've received previously and make sure that it matches what the sender sent. And if it didn't, that would indicate either a glitch in the line or more onerously, somebody fiddled with their traffic as they were exchanging it back and forth. What Google does with what's called SSL false start is they allow the client to send its first traffic prior to receiving the acknowledgement from the server that everything is copacetic. And so it's pushing... It's pushing the security envelope. Now, Google understands that. They understand there are some dangers. So, for example, in their spec for this, which they have sent to the IETF for consideration, um, um, I'll, I'll read something from it because it, it explains what Google understands the problems are. They said, when the client has sent its change cipher spec and finished messages, its default behavior following the standard RFC is not to send application data, that is the stuff we want to have protected, until it has received the server's change cipher spec and finished messages, which completes the handshake. With the false start protocol modification, the client may send application data earlier under the new cipher spec If each of the following conditions is satisfied, and they enumerate, the application layer has requested the TLS false start option. The symmetric cipher defined by the cipher suite negotiated in this handshake has been whitelisted for use with false start, according to the security considerations in section 6.1. So what they're saying there is they acknowledge that some ciphers are not safe to use with this so this is what makes me think okay i hope they got this right um and going on the key exchange method defined by the cipher suite negotiated in this handshake has also been whitelisted for use with false start according to the security considerations and in the case of a handshake with client authentication where the client is offering a certificate to authenticate who it is, which is not the normal case for anonymous SSL, for example, with users on the internet uh, talking to servers, the client certificate type 
has been whitelisted for use with false start according to security uh, securities um, considerations. So it's like, okay, well, you know, how much do we really need to save one one handshake exchange during SSL? You know, how badly do we do we need that to be thirty three percent faster by sending our sending our traffic forward to the server before we've received its confirmation that that it agrees with the integrity of the handshake that's been established. Uh, I'm not so sure. It can be disabled. It had, they've been playing with this since Chrome version 9. And, and they've been sort of doing it quietly. They found that most, with very few exceptions, all the websites around are false start compatible already. So the so this doesn't require any change in the SSL protocol. This is just sort of fudging it in a way that it really wasn't designed to be fudged. And the list of non-compliant IP addresses or domains is so small that there is a that now Chrome contains though that list in it and so if you're trying to if a if a client a user is trying to connect to one of those very few non false start compliant sites then chrome will know not to do that um it can be turned off by command line option but you know whoever launches chrome with a command line i, I guess you could create a shortcut and put that into the command line you know and build it into the shortcut so it would always be off maybe it'll be an option or a feature through the ui at some point but you know, Google thinks this is really wonderful. Um, <clears throat> I hope it turns out to be and, you know, yeah. not have problems. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like the kind of thing that hackers are going to just jump on and say, ooh, how can we subvert this? So, well, and then lastly. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you talked about this because I read it and I thought, I wonder what, this doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, basically yeah. they're, you know, they're jumping the gun uh, and and it's like, well, and having to do it in such a way that they recognize the gun, you know, might misfire if if cipher suites and and authentications, you know, key exchange protocols are not hardened against some potential exploits of this. So it's like, hey, okay, you know, I, 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 I you know, <laughs> I love that Google is is pushing themselves for more performance. We've seen a number of things. You know, like there, there's a cool add-in that you can get where it really helps to, it helps web designers see um, where their uh, servers are slow, what what things are slow, how pages are, you know, it like, like does an, a forensic analysis of what takes time on a web page. You know, Google, to, to, their, to their credit, because they've got, you know, so much uh, eggs in the basket of web-based you know, in the cloud stuff are really working to improve the performance of of our experience, which I'm glad for. I just, I hope that this doesn't end up biting us in the end. Well. From the Twitterverse, I have a bunch of little quick little bits of feedback that are interesting. Um, uh, again, my uh, uh, tweeting friend Simon Zarafa told me about Quick Java, which is a a plugin, quickjavaplugin.blogspot.com, and it does what we were talking about last week for Firefox. It gives you granular control over Java, JavaScript, uh, and a number of things. 
I didn't enumerate them here, um, but I just wanted to give uh, Simon a thanks and also to tell our listeners that there is something. If you are interested in and in disabling Java in a and being able to re-enable it easily, uh, the quick Java plugin dot blogspot dot com uh, will point you to it uh, for Firefox. Um, ben Pike followed up or at Ben Pike. He wrote, "I work for a major wireless retailer." We use Celebrite machines to copy customer data from old phones to new phones. So just as you suspected, Leo, uh, here's someone who heard us talking about that, the, the problem with the, the Celebrite technology, which police officers are apparently using when they pull people over to, without a warrant, obtain all of the data in their cell phones. Um, and, and as you surmised, um, some you know wireless companies like Verizon and AT and T so forth were using it in order to help their customers move their data over and and here's uh, someone who's doing that uh, at Holt CG whose name is Chris Holt said most of the iMation flash brand or iMation brand flash drives have a write protect switch perfect for carrying around your suite of anti-malware tools that's following up on last week's discussion in our Q and A of the problem of you know if you we're using forensics on a flash drive to help clean bad stuff off of someone's computer. How do you know you didn't infect your own drive? And so a write protect switch on the flash drive uh, does that. And he says that iMation uh, brand flash drives uh, often have them. Um, Brian Dort uh, said, holy cow, FreshBooks is sending me a cake. Yay! Or just signing up for their service. Yeah, see, I wasn't lying about that. <laughs> and at Tech Jeeper, whose name is Cody Dean, said, thanks for the recommendation of the book Zero Day by at Mark Rusunovich. I'm hooked on this book. I'm seeing that uh, everywhere, by the way. People really, really do love that book. Yes. And, I, and then also at Jay Lanners, whose name is Josh, said, thanks, SGGRC, and at Leo Laporte, for zero day, it was fantastic. So he finished the book, and I also saw someone blogging saying, "Do not read this if you're on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you land safely." And anyone who's read the first chapter knows why you do not want to be reading this book on a plane. Uh, it would, I mean, oh, it would really be give you the creeps. They and need to do an audible version. Doctor Mom's saying I should read the audible version. I'd like to. And audible. By the way. Mark has tweeted, actually, I did also get this from Simon uh, Zarafa. Mark has tweeted that there will be a sequel. Oh, good. So he's going to do a, a, a follow-up. Good, good, good. And good. lastly, at ZKAM, Z-K-A-M, he tweeted, new privacy settings for Firefox. And this is hot off the press. This is not something we have yet, generally. This is in their nightly builds that they published. But there is a new, very tasty-looking feature in Firefox, which you get to um, from the URL bar by putting in about colon permissions. It is a, a new UI that shows every site that you have been to. At the top of the list is a global setting for all sites where you're able to control on a site-by-site -site basis, whether sites are allowed to store passwords, share location, set cookies, open pop-up windows, and maintain 
offline storage. So this is going to give us very granular privacy-related control once it's in the main Firefox build. At this point, it's only available in the nightly build, and apparently it just happened. So uh, I thank him for the tip and the heads up, and we'll, uh, we'll be sure to note when that actually goes out into uh, mainstream. Yeah. And finally, I have in my quest for strange but true news stories of Spinrite success, uh, David J. Sorrow just sent this. Uh, actually, the mail's dated June 1st. So today, he said, Steve, love the podcast with Leo. No idea where I should send this, but I figure your sales department would read it and pass it on, as indeed Sue did. Security Now got me to investigate Spinrite, and it really is magical. Seriously. I'm sure there's some other coincidence going on here, but you have to hear this story. My machine started misbehaving all over the place. And I had heard so many success stories about Spinrite fixing everything from bad sectors to gremlins in systems. When I turned my computer on, it took forever to boot. But that really isn't out of the ordinary. After booting Windows, I realized now I had no network connection and that my machine could not get an IP from my router. After some testing, I determined that somehow both of my NIC cards, my network interface cards, had died. Tried many cables, ports, etc. Nothing worked. To make sure it was not an OS-specific problem, I booted into my Ubuntu partition and could not get a network connection either. I decided that I had enough and figured, what the hell, I'll run Spinrite. It was my last resort before buying new NICs. I let it run at level two for three hours. Spinrite didn't find or report anything, and I rebooted the machine. Both of my NICs now work. How is this possible? It had to be a symptom of powering down the machine and switching out some internal cables or something, But in my mind, Spinrite can fix broken NICs, and I will be telling all of my friends. Thanks, Steve. So, of course, what I think, uh, given his symptoms, is that there were problems with his hard drive. Spinrite often, as we have said, fixes things without reporting anything, so it's just good to run. Um, And then, uh, so it was probably a combination of things, one of which was problems on his hard drive, and then maybe an intermittent, you know, electrical connection with his NIC. But you know, uh, he got it and it fixed his machine. So that's all good. Yeah. So thanks, Yahoo. David, for the report. So in just a moment, we're going to help you find a needle in a haystack or actually bury your needle in a haystack a little bit better. Better passwords coming up with uh, Steve Gibson. But before we do that, I do want to mention our friends at Netflix.com, a great place for people who love movies and TV shows. And I want to emphasize the TV shows. I've been watching Battlestar Galactica from day one, and it's really fun. Lost is on there. Um, a lot of, a lot of, I think Fringe is on there. Some of Steve's favorite shows are on there. Uh, Netflix.com slash twit. That's the site to go to, to try this free for 30 days. Now I know most of you already have a Netflix subscription, so I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, it's, you know, that DVD by mail system where you make a list of all the DVDs you want to see. My queue has 236 movies that I, I want to see. And uh, they send you, you know, the discs. You can have one, two, three, four, five, six, up to eight at a time. And uh, you watch them. There's no late fee. Take as all, all the time you want. And then after you've watched it, you pop it in the prepaid mailer. It goes back and 
they turn around and send you the next disc on the list in as little as one business day. I personally, as you can see, have had the same discs since January because I'm spending a lot of time watching movies instantly on Netflix. And there are more and more movies all the time on the Watch Instantly uh, Netflix Watch Instantly um, list. It's just really fun. Oh, there's Groundhog Day. I love that. Classic. Uh, I, you know, see, this is the problem. Is I go here and I go, oh, I want to watch that tonight. Or I want to watch that tonight. You could still make a cue, but you don't have to because, you know, there's no disc. You just press play and, and there it goes. Everything from Hot Tub Time Machine uh, to, uh, I just watched Shutter Island last night. Man, that scared the pants off of me. Mr. Bean, Sherlock Holmes, Gangs of New York, Star Trek. This is the the new Star Trek movie. This is really a great entertainment system. Plays back on your computer, of course, but most people watch it on their big screen TV using their Xbox, their PlayStation 3, their Nintendo Wii. I use a Roku box. Almost all the devices that hook up to TVs nowadays, including many TVs, support Netflix streaming. So that makes it much easier for you to watch the movies you want to watch anytime you want to watch them. I want you to go right now to Netflix. Oh, the piano. That's a good one. I like that. I haven't seen that in ages. That's a great movie. And that's the movie Anna Paquin won an Academy Award for when she was just a kid. If you love Anna Paquin in True Blood, you might want to see this. The piano. Oh, Suki Stackhouse. Yeah. Suki Stackhouse, yeah. People people forget that this was the movie that made her famous. Um, she was just a little kid in this. I want you to go right now. You could you could be watching this movie right now. No, not right now. Wait till after this no. show. <laughs> Netflix.com slash twit. If you've already got a Netflix account, do me a favor. Tell your family, your friends, grandma. They, they're going to want Netflix too. Netflix.com. And tell them to use that URL so we get credit. Netflix.com slash twit. We thank Netflix for their support of security now. I'm so excited. Finally, the big reveal. <laughs> We're going to finally find out about this new password technique. Okay. So I I started to create something based on a theory for how to make guaranteed strong pass codes as I was calling them. Um you know, we've talked about uh we have our the, the perfect paper passwords is the one-time password system which I created and, and is open sourced and, and published and discussed for and actually being used a lot. If I, I did a Google the other day for perfect paper passwords and it's all over the place and people are actually using it to, you know, they've installed it in servers and they're, they're using it for their own, you know, free one-time password system. For static passwords, we've, we know that we need passwords which are not obvious, not in dictionaries. And in fact, Leo, I was did, I was, did, did some looking through um, password dictionaries, and I got a big kick out of the fact that your prior old password, you mentioned it uh, last week, you used to use monkey. Yeah. That's Many number moons four, ago. That's, that's number 14 on the hit parade. <laughs> so in other words, it's, it would take a milliseconds to crack my system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the monkey, yeah, would be on your back. Yeah. Um, that. <laughs> The number one most common password is one two three four five six. Oh boy, a lot of people. And this that. this is from a thirty five million user password database wow. that was hacked and escaped from a site. And so this was a statistical analysis of that. 
um, the word password is fourth in line. And there's some strange things like Michael is on the list. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like tens of thousands of people use Michael as their oh, password. That's probably their name. But well, no, but I don't think so. But many more people use Monkey. And if you use your own, <laughs> that's my name. <laughs> that's number 14. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we know that passwords have to be, you, you cannot avoid, um, you, 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 you cannot use passwords which are going to be on a, a most common list which the hackers have. Failing that, then they'll use a so called dictionary attack, literally using a dictionary, often in the language of the user, but sometimes even in foreign languages. You know, the, the idea being that, you know, they want to find your password. They want to figure out what it is. So, so trying passwords is the only thing they can do. And that's one of the key things. I mean, we all know that, but it sort of forms one of the pillars of something that I realized that I've never in all these years had occur to me or talked about. And from the reactions that I've had to this, no one has either. So, so all the attacker can do is check a password and see if it's right or not. Well, I also created the perfect passwords page on GRC, which, it, which enforces an SSL connection. It'll only come up under SSL because it's using GRC's very good and fully documented on that page pseudo gibberish generator, pseudo random number generator to present users with various forms of ultra high entropy text. 63 characters long, for example, is just you're able to copy and paste it and drop it into your uh, W. Do you use it as a WPA password to drop it into your Wi-Fi? And, you know, th those things are super high entropy um, and thus very useful for passwords. And completely unmemorable and untypable. And, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> complained many times that my iPod Touch has never been on my own Wi-Fi network because there's no way I can type in my own WPA password. <laughs> and so what I, what I realized was that good as that kind of password is, the kind that the perfect passwords page gives you, it is not friendly. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a non-user-friendly password. The problem has always been that we've assumed that user-friendly passwords, you know, things we could remember, were probably also weak. And what I, what I hit on is that's not necessarily true. Um, what matters when, as soon as the attacker has exhausted all of his lists, common password lists, you know, maybe site-specific likely passwords based on, you know, the, the site they're trying to hack or the specific user. You know, you don't want to use your own name as a password because that might be a username also. So, you, you know, so it might be that the bad guy knows something about you. Then, it, then they'll, they'll fall back to dictionaries. Then maybe dictionaries with a digit tacked on the end because we know now that some password policies require at least one digit. So, you know, 
users who don't really, I, I don't know what it is. They don't think it's going ever going to happen to them, or they're just trying to create a, a throwaway login because they want to post a comment on a blog, and this dumb site requires them to create an account in order to do so, you know, whatever. They'll just tack a zero on the end or a one or whatever their favorite digit is. So the, the bad guys who want to get in will try those tricks too. So, there, you know, you can imagine there are, there are things that bad guys could do, attackers, to to try to figure out something that the lazy user has done. When all else fails, when all of that fails, the they fall back to the traditional, often spoken of, brute force attack. Because we understand how it's possible to create every possible password, first you start with A, then B, then C, then D, and so forth, up through Z, then A, 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 B, A, C, A, D, and so forth, up to A, Z, then B, A, B, 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 C, B, D, and so on. So it's possible, given time, to run through every possible password. That's why, in the past, we have chosen passwords that are non-memorable. These horrors, like what you get from the perfect passwords page at GRC, because they are just absolutely off the map. They're, they're ultra-high entropy, and there is, there's no way to guess what they are. So what this means is that the only vulnerability after your password isn't going to be quickly found in a list is the bad guy trying them all. Trying them all, since they don't know how long your password is, and all the only feedback they get back is yes that was a match or no that wasn't they you know one of the the most often seen um lies told by hollywood is <laughs> it was when the cracker you know uses some algorithm and one by one determines what the digits of the yeah. combination is yeah, yeah, yeah. because oh we got we, exactly no, oh locked in another one yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we all know that isn't the way these no. things work. If if the if the bad guy guesses wrong, the only information he gets is that wasn't it either, sucker. Try again. Um and the bad guy can try again. So what occurred to me was that we get our protection from the size of the space that we, that we force the bad guy to search the larger the space that is the 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 greater the number of combinations of wrong passwords the attacker has to try during a brute force try everything attack the greater security we have so the first thing that says, the most obvious thing that says is longer is better. The longer it is, the better it is. Because length is one way we know. For example, say that we just had all lowercase. Don't do that, but say that we did because it makes the math easy for a second. Then every time we add one lowercase letter to lengthen our password, we've made it We've made it 26 times harder to, to attack us because 
as as we all know from the way binary works and even decimal it's like it's like you know if it's easier to think of it in terms of decimal we we just imagine passwords as digits 0 through 9 every time you add a digit it's 10 times more of them we understand well how that works in decimal the same thing works with alphabets on and and passwords so longer clearly extends the password search space and since the attacker doesn't has no feedback as to the length of our particular password um, and they're hoping we've done something dumb and used a small one they start at the low end they actually they could only start at the short end because nothing sets the upper end now if a if a if a site had a policy that limited passwords to 16 characters sure the attacker could start with a 16 character password and then work their way down but they're sort of starting at the hard end that doesn't make it you know at, at the deep end of the pool rather than the shallow end so attackers are going to uh, who are you know in a hurry trying because there are so many of these they got to do the best job they can they start at the short end so long is better okay the other thing we know is that making the the alphabet as large as possible is also important. I use the example, for example, of just decimal. Uh, that's like the worst you could possibly do would be a digits-only password because each character only makes it 10 times stronger. Whereas, for example, if it was lowercase, each character makes it 26 times stronger because you've got an alphabet of 26. But if you put in even just one uppercase character suddenly now that's it's radically stronger because the alphabet is lowercase 26 plus uppercase 26 which is to say by by putting in an uppercase character you have you have made the attacker use brute forcing that includes uppercase now think about that for a second again the attacker is going to be as smart as, you know, infinitely smart. We'll, we'll, we'll give them that. They are the smartest password cracker ever born. So one of the things, one of the other things they know is that 46, I can't remember the exact number, I think it's 46.67% of all passwords are all lowercase alphabetic. That's a true statistic. 46.67% all lowercase alpha. So the smart password cracker says, well, if he's going to make me brute force because I haven't been able to discover it so far, and if I'm going to have to try all passwords, I'm first going to try all lowercase passwords because the search is much smaller because the alphabet is only 26 characters. So the bad guy can search some ways out in length using all lowercase and 46.67% of the time, that's where the unwise password will live. Even if it's long, it's still going to be there. So the bad guy is going to try that first before trying any passwords that have uppercase in them or digits in them or symbols, you know, special characters like exclamation point, pound sign, so forth. So, so the other rule of this of this make the search as bad as possible, as hard as possible, in addition to length, 
which clearly lengthens the search, is you absolutely want to use at least one uppercase, one lowercase, one digit, and one symbol. Because what you've done, you've then done is you've moved your password out of any of the abbreviated searches. Those will all happen first if the, if the attacker is infinitely smart. Finally, with all of those having failed out to whatever length this, this guy was searching, we'll try, so we'll have to start brute forcing passwords containing one of each type of symbol, which is the last thing the bad guy wants to do. Okay. What hit me like a thunderbolt was the password and on on my on the page where I've documented this I I show a I think it maybe have been 23 characters of random gibberish that I did get from my own perfect passwords page I just snipped a chunk out compared to the password capital D number 0 lowercase g and 21 dots 21 dots what kind of password's that? It's stronger than the first one. <laughs> wow. That's, that's and, really interesting. And isn't that cool? What hit me was entropy doesn't matter. You have to have some. You've got to have enough so that you're not like just all dots. That would be bad. But, but because, what you're really saying is that length trumps entropy. Um, in a way. Yeah, as they always said, size matters. Size you know. matters. <laughs> size does matter. Um, and yes, it, that's exactly right. Length matters radically more than a password's entropy. As long as your password is not in a dictionary or in a list, then the, the, uh, the only way to attack it is brute force. And brute force trying everything only gets yes or no it it's either it didn't work or it did it so, doesn't give him a clue unlike the movies yes as to what's no, next he doesn't know you have 21 dots after the word d capital d number 0 lowercase g in fact he might even know you use dots but he has to know a 20 won't work 22 correct. won't work correct it's got to be an exact match now I am not suggesting Don't use that, dots. Pe <laughs> that people use dots, nor am I suggesting that it be as simple as that. For example, you could put some dots in, some somethings in front, some somethings in the middle, some somethings afterwards. Or, and here's what I would encourage people to do is invent your own scheme. Have a, but have way. a pattern that's memorable. It's okay, right? Well, and Leo, I immediately changed my WPA Wi-Fi password. You can imagine, now our listeners can imagine what it kind of looks like, right. except it doesn't matter if you can imagine what it looks like because there's no way to tell. The only way, the only attack that we know of against WPA is an offline brute force attack, trying them all until you get a packet that is, has, has clearly been decrypted. So I'm and, just looking at your brute force cracker and monkey yes, in the worst case scenario uh, would be cracked at 0. 0.00000032 seconds. <laughs> yeah, we should tell our listeners that there is a new service, this is, this is a new such page. A good service. I love it. Yeah. At GRC. You can find it from the main menu under services. I called it password haystacks because this is all about hiding your needle in a large haystack. 
<laughs> and so what the page does, which is just grc.com slash haystack.htm, but if you leave off the .htm, it'll put it on for you. Um, it's a cool little real-time uh, client-side calculator I wrote in JavaScript, um, which you can you can play with. You can put passwords of of various constructions in and what it what this does is this is not a password strength meter that is if you put in monkey um you know it, we, we know that's 14th most common so that won't survive you know a second or two but even with brute force it's it's pretty quickly even with brute force <laughs> yeah. it's all lowercase and it's right. not very long right um, but if i add you know 10 dots it suddenly yes. becomes centuries thousands yes. of centuries uh, yes to crack Yes. Now, 10 dots, somebody might guess. Yes. If dots became popular, bad guys would start trying dots. You know, at first I thought, oh, I'll just put happy faces. I'll put, but then I realized, you know, that's a little too ordered. Yeah. I I would be creative, use some, you know, like maybe how about like start with an open bracket, then a couple dashes, then, you know, something. But the point is, as you said, Leo, you can even take a simple word, a dictionary word will no longer be found if it's padded. And that's what I call this. I call this password padding because this notion is padding a password that is already good enough makes it unbreakable and leaves it memorable. You can invent your own padding methodology. Don't tell anybody. I mean, and so that's one of the weaknesses is, you know, somebody could see it and go, wow, that's cool. But look, I mean, you know, one glance at it and they would be able to memorize it. Unlike one of the nightmare, you know, high entropy passwords. This is actually a low entropy password, but it's it, it, it exists in a massive search space. So it cannot be found within the lifetime of the universe if it's sufficiently long. And in fact, this little haystack page uh, shows you, uh, makes assumptions, three different types of attack. An an online attack assuming a thousand attempts per second. Which is pretty fast, but still. Yeah, yeah, I I wanted to worst case it. It's probably more like 10 or maybe 100 if you had multiple. If, if If there wasn't a lockout policy and if you had multiple, like, you know, uh, instances all trying to guess the password at the same time. And then an offline attack is the one we were talking about, for example, with, with the WPA pass, password where you get some data of some sort and you are and you sit there trying to, to crack it, trying all possible ones. Um, or like, for example, you know, we talked about LastPass. The concern there was that users may have had weak master passwords to protect their last pass last pass database now we know it is there your because your password is lo, is hashed locally you can use one of these large haystack passwords or a padded password as i call it um to come up with something that is incredibly Robust. I mean, will cannot be cracked. You got to go to grc.com slash haystack and play around with this because, as you saw, Leo, as long as you've got uppercase, lowercase, alpha, and, and a symbol, you'll probably have plenty of symbols because you'll probably pad them with symbols, but you don't have to. You could also pad them with zeros or 10101. I mean, you know, you, you want to invent your own thing. Right. And, and then 
you are really safe. You've now, got the be- uh, you've got the best of both worlds. I'm going to bring up two memorable- possible problems. Okay. One, and this, we mentioned this also. Remember, we talked about that page, a couple of the year old page, where the guy said, uh, you know, uh, dogs are fun is better than a random password, and we kind of debunked that. But one of the things that was a problem in general with his stuff is if somebody's looking over your shoulder and they see you going dot 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 or whatever it is, if it, it they might be able to guess that pattern. More That's true. more significant, uh, if you use the same pattern on multiple sites. That's a concern, isn't it? Because your pattern might be guessed. Yes. Um, and it's why I, I still have one more trick up my sleeve that I mentioned at the, at the top of, of course, the show. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. So, so I would, for example, you wouldn't want to write down what your padding methodology is. You know what it is. The point of it is you can memorize it. It's easy. It's something you invented and you add it to passwords yourself. But the reason I gave, specifically the reason I gave the example of WPA and LastPass is there is no way to compromise the password other than by brute force. That is, it's hashed in your browser or it's it's in your router. But as, exactly as you said, Leo, if, if, so, if a malicious site... Well, for example, wasn't storing hashed passwords. If they were storing the password in plain text and if they lost control of their database, as we know happens too often, then a bad guy could see your username, which might be your email address, and a low entropy, although unbreakable by brute force, they'd be looking at the plain text and go, oh, well, I see how this guy forms right. his passwords right. and then go try to log on as you elsewhere. So you still you still need to to have a password which is is changing from one site to the other. So our 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 longstanding advice about not reusing passwords on multiple sites stands, but the idea is you can take a any good password and make it great. I mean make it unbreakable from from any kind of offline a, a attack. And there is no downside to your use with this kind of password with a, a WPA uh, Wi-Fi or oh, in LastPass where it's hashing locally. Good point. Yeah. I use, still use SuperGenPass, which is a um, JavaScript-based hashing algorithm. It takes a master password, uh, 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 hashes it, uh, with your uh, d- domain name that you're on and creates right. a, I think it's a 10-character password. But what I've been doing unconsciously is exactly what you suggest here, which is padding it with four more easily memorable digits, in effect, a pin. So I have a unique password for every site. Uh, I have a recognizable, memorable pattern that I add to it. And I, it, those extra four digits give me a 14-digit password that is mixed characters, uh, upper and lower, and numbers, and it's easy for me to recreate the password. But even if you knew my SuperGen master password, you wouldn't know that I, oh, I always add these. Well, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know well, that I always add these digits to it. Exactly. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Yes. Well, yeah. And in with WPA, we, we as far as we know, and it's been looked at very, very closely, there is no attack against it 
other than brute force. That right. is the on, the only attack against right. WPA. And so the, the, what 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 struck me is that so long as you're you're not worried about what you know your scheme getting loose and there's no way for it to get loose from WPA or LastPass because that's all being done with you locally. Um, you know, there's some concern when if you do this for logins on on the net because because unfortunately our browsers are not hashing our passwords for us uh, before they leave. That would be really cool if if sites began hashing locally and so that you know so that this, the remote server never had that but you know that's not the way things work today so the the, so the downside is the 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 lack of entropy on a long password that is a padded password does if someone sees it or arranges to see it somehow but it it, it betrays the scheme um but given that um that an attacker is only doing brute force a site is hashing passwords for example um, it buys you huge amount of strength uh, for at very little cost. Do, do rainbow tables help or anything like that? No. Um, the, the, the rainbow tables are useful, for example, up to a certain size. But again, if you look at GRT, grc.com slash haystack, I sound like J- Dvorak. Uh, <laughs> you do. Uh, if, if you look at that page... Play with it a bit, and you'll see with a with a deep what I call a deep alphabet, meaning at least one of each type of characters, so that the brute forcer is f- forced out of any of the quicker searches. The the it, it's it's that's a nine it's an alphabet of ninety five characters, and every I mean so every character you add makes it ninety five times more difficult, which may not sound like a lot, but that's why I I actually sh- I show the exact number. And then I showed as a as a power of ten, and then I do the division for the user, dividing by a thousand attacks per second, and what a hundred billion attacks per second, yeah. and a hundred trillion attacks per second. Now, a hundred billion may seem far fetched, except that I just it, I just increased it because there was a page I found. Actually, it was Simon again who pointed me to it. A a a security researcher has used AMD GPUs and and built a homebrew setup that is cracking passwords at 33 billion per second. Wow. So but now they have to have access to the password data in a lump at that point. Yes, that's got to be an offline password. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so but that so happens. Wh- Look what happened to PS at the PlayStation Network. The Sony password database was hacked yep. and downloaded. And now the attacker has at their leisure the time to do this massive brute force attack. So a, a 100 billion passwords per second is only 3 times what is currently exists right now. Mm. And the reason I did the 100 trillion is imagine, you know, the NSA Probably the reason, if, if there's a graphics card shortage, <laughs> you know who bought them all. Um, so, so I just I wanted a really worst case the 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 performance of offline hacking of and brute forcing to so and and create a calculator that people could use to give them a real world sense for how strong this is. But again, Leo, if it's long 
and it's not if it's long and you force them into a brute force which any long password will because by definition that won't be in a table um the only way they can get it is by looking by trying them all and, and ironically your your padding uh, here's a I, I put a random password a 10 character random password in here which is just numbers upper and lowercase letters 2.37 hours in that massive cracking array scenario but if i add one, two, three, four, five, six. That that very commonly known password. One point five four hundred thousand centuries. Yes. And so even and you can remember one, two, three, four, five, six. The point being that yes, by itself that would be a crappy password. But by adding that to a a generated password, you're adding huge amount of security. Exactly. Simply even by adding length. It, even though, exactly, even though it's it's low entropy, it's entropy free. <laughs> it's, <laughs> length matters. Length matters. What an interesting thing. So everybody, then the the the, the takeaway from this would be: so somebody asked in the chat room, "Well, Steve, you should write a program to do this." No, you don't need a program to do this. This is the whole point. Yes, exactly. Everybody should, in their mind, come up with whatever pattern they would they could remember and they could use, and then just tag that onto everything that you create. Yeah. And it's simple. So we're not saying use that pattern as your sole password. That is important. Correct. Otherwise. Correct. And so, for example, my my WPA password, which, and I'm so happy, I, my iPod Touch is now on my Wi-Fi network. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 you know, guests can come over and I can, I can say, oh, yeah, you know, I mean... I now have a password <laughs> that that I can type in. It's a miracle. Yay. And, it, and it's just as strong as that nightmare that I used to have. So how did you generate that password? Did you generate a good, short, good password and then tag uh, this pattern that you've invented onto it? Or did you not even, I mean, in other words, you still need a base that's unique. Well, not for really, WPA, you don't. You really don't. Not for um, WPA, you don't. Let's say, for example, open bracket, 10 dashes. Right. And then something and 10 more dashes and something else and 10 dashes. That's, and then that's long. Close, close bracket. That's as yeah. good as your 64 character password, right? Oh, absolutely. Because even though, I mean, even though WPA accepts 63 characters, it hashes it down to many fewer bits. Oh, okay. Which means that those are not, all those passwords are not technically Different. unique. Right. There'll be many collisions within the SHA. Um, hash, wh which WPA uses. So, so you could make your password be bracket dash 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 password bracket dash dash dash, and that would or, be or dash 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 bracket close bracket. Yeah, yeah, that would be a nice long password and yes, easy to remember. Very little entropy there, but very very hard to brute force. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, will people start searching for patterns once this becomes widely used? The only thing that could be done, the problem is there is, a, I, I would, I'm, I'm not going to say infinite number of patterns, but you know, people are very clever. Yeah. You know, we've also got forward slash backslash, so you can make little teepees. Right. But and that's why can, we don't you know, use smileys or any kind of pattern pattern. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it, remember, it's got to be exact. So, right. so we have, in the, during this podcast, we have massively expanded right. what a an attacker would have to do before trying everything. The problem is 
it's truly a massive expansion because all we've said is make it longer. You could put it in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. You can and you can put anything, anything you want in the beginning, the middle, the end. Or as I did for my own WPA, you know, put a couple special things spaced out among some other numbers of something else, and you just you no one's going to find it. There, they're just there's just too much uncertainty there. And the only way to find it is try them all. And, uh, you know, grc.com slash haystack will just show you exactly how many you've created. And what's surprising is that they do, they do add up so fast. As you said, Leo, just adding one, two, three, four, five, six, the most common password in the world, hugely strengthens yeah. an otherwise, a password that could otherwise be broken in with a massive array in, a, in an hour or two. Yeah. Now it's trillions of centuries. Yeah. Very effective. Really cool. And a great insight, and that's why I love this show. So uh, if you can't remember uh, the URL, if you go to grc.com, surely you can remember that. Uh, it's in the services menu, password haystacks. Just go to there. Actually, while you're there, you should browse around. There's so much great stuff. There's, of course, the Security Now podcast, and there's 200, I'm sorry, 303 of them now, including uh, 16 kilobit versions for the bandwidth impaired, full transcripts too for those who like to read. A lot of people in the chat room have been asking about passwords in general and LastPass specifically. This is a great time to go back in time at that website. You can read the transcripts of Steve's discussion of LastPass, Steve's discussion of passwords, and, and it, it's just a great resource for learning. Of course, he also offers a lot of other great free tools, including the Haystack. It's all at grc.com. And while you're there, please buy Shields Up. I mean, uh, SpinRight. <laughs> Don't buy Shields Up. It's free. Please buy SpinRight, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. You want this thing. If you've got a hard drive, you need SpinRight. And it you know, keeps Steve in, uh, in Quinti Venti Lattes. Well, it allows me the opportunity to come up with these kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. It gives me the, the, the chance to think about this. And I've got one more idea. I don't know how it's going to work out. I've got to do uh, some cryptanalysis, believe it or not. But uh, so, this, I mean, it doesn't obsolete this. This is good in the meantime. But uh, this journey has uh, opened up some other ideas. So uh, we, uh, I'm not going to tease everybody. I don't know when it's going to be. But we'll have a Q&A next week, and I'm sure some great content the week after. Uh, but uh I got one more thing, I think, up my sleeve. Oh, there was more than one more thing up Steve Gibson's sleeve. I can guarantee you that. Steve's on Twitter, at SGGRC. You might want to follow him there. And, uh, of course, we do this show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC at live.twit.tv. So you can watch us do it live if you want to get the latest, freshest version. But if you miss it, hey, and I understand people actually have jobs and things like that, you can always catch it later at twit.tv slash SN or on Steve's, uh, Steve's site, GRC. Dot com. Steve, thanks so much. This is great. Thanks, Sam. I'm going to go out and change all my passwords. <laughs> Talk to you next week. See you next time on Security Now. Security Now.